Hi, welcome to the Creative Review Podcast. I'm Eliza Williams, and today I'm here with my colleagues Rachel Stephen and Saloni Gargill. Hey there. We're going to discuss a couple of the topics that we've been thinking about and debating about in the office this week, which this time round include ethics in design and a new ad for women's shaving products. Uh, let's start with the more meaty topic, which is ethics in design, which was prompted by an article Rachel wrote for us, so I'll let Rachel explain it. So the article was about a film released by Doberman, which is a design agency with offices in Europe and the US. Doberman turned 20 this year, so to mark the anniversary, it did a series of interviews um, with designers from leading companies. So there are people from Sonos, Headspace, uh, Google, lots and lots of different brands. There's there's 20 people featured, and, uh, and they were asked to reflect on the future of the design industry and some of the major challenges that are facing designers today. They all have very different responses. You can watch all of the films on, online, but one of the key things that people kept coming back to was this sense of kind of responsibility, um, particularly in the digital world. So people working on apps and digital products that are playing um, an increasingly big role in our lives. Um, there was definitely a sense among these people of um, a need to kind of think about ethics and the long-term implications of the creative decisions they make. So really something that, that Doberman CEO Lisa Lindstrom spoke to us about in the article was this sense that perhaps as we've become more aware of the value of good design and the role that design can play in business, so whether that's encouraging more people to use an app or people to spend more time on it, um, that we've perhaps, in becoming so focused on that and making design uh, more efficient or more streamlined, that we've maybe lost sight a little bit of, of whether in doing that, that we're really making something that, that is adding value to the world or, yeah. or something that's having a positive impact on, on users' lives. And presumably it's also part of these questions have been prompted by the Cambridge Analytica scandal and the sense in which people are increasingly questioning whether the sort of world we've created with the internet and with social media and with apps and with smartphones is actually good for our health and good for our society and good for our democracies and good for our family lives and so on. Um, because I think these, these questions have been rumbling around. It's actually very interesting to hear it from the designer's perspective because I think earlier this year, when news of the scandal broke, where people began to examine a little bit of the history of the internet, I think I actually, by pure chance today in my news feed, a story from a few months ago that New York Magazine wrote came up, which they were talking about the... They talked to what they termed as the architects of the internet, so people who had worked on some of the most major social media channels or companies, so people from Google, Reddit, YouTube, Facebook, but people who are no longer at these companies but were there in the early days. They talked a little bit about the kind of way these companies developed and examined, I guess, mainly from the business model side. So a lot of it was about this idea that they had a business model that was sort of celebrating both socialism through its desire for sharing, but also libertarianism through the need to make money and make everything for free and how these sort of two models clashed and perhaps have created the world we are now. But the design point of view, I think, isn't examined in as much detail there. But of course, designers who perhaps previously have been seen to be maybe more of the good guys in commercial work, like where the ad guys might always have been seen slightly as the bad guys, I think increasingly there's an awareness that designers actually have a choice to make. And was that perhaps what yeah, was coming absolutely. through? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, 
Lisa Lindstrom, when we spoke to her, was kind of discussing that, and and she said that she would really like to see more designers start um, having these conversations, both internally with their colleagues and with clients. Um, and one of the things I asked her was whether you really feel like, as a designer, you you can do that. You know, I'm sure that at some point in the history of some of these massive tech companies that we're talking about, someone had perhaps anticipated that there might be a negative impact on creating a system that people spend all their time on. Well, but absolutely. I mean, I think yeah, this, this New York article, which <laughs> I thoroughly recommend reading it, it, it has come across that people raise the issue, but because of the business model being the need for clicks and the need for shares and the need for eyeballs constantly, it was ultimately disregarded. And yeah. I think this is the, the but tricky her thing. argument as now is that designers actually have a bigger say or a slightly louder voice and they're playing a really integral role in building the future of these services and she was quite optimistic that if we actually start really questioning things so her suggestion was perhaps that when we are building new products or services we start to model out um, scenarios and future scenarios and really kind of look at not just how what we're building what what we're building will do now but also looking at what it might do kind of 10 15 years in the future as the technology evolves and her argument was really that it's not that everyone has necessarily willfully ignored this but that we've been so caught up in new technology that we've forgotten to think about maybe alternative ways of doing things we've just thought about making our products and services bigger or faster or um so she she was uh, kind of cautiously optimistic I would say that if this is something we can start talking about in education if it's something we can start talking about in studios if it's something we can start talking about in discussions with clients and also if designers can start taking a stand and and really kind of interrogating their own work and thinking does this add value to the world or is this doing a positive thing and if it's not possibly walking away from projects or roles then maybe we will see a shift um, especially if that comes in partnership with consumers putting more pressure on these companies to be more ethical i think i think it's really interesting that idea my one kind of question that comes to mind is how possible that is if you if you're say a junior designer and how because i feel like we've heard a bit of this from the ad world over the years that people there are certain major figures in the ad world who who were very senior and made a lot of money through doing work for clients that absolutely do not necessarily fit into an ethical bracket. And then at some point, sort of maybe in their mid-40s or something, when they've made a lot of money, they say, actually, we should be making ethical advertising. It's a terrible thing. But I feel it seems to always come at the point when you've already kind of made quite a lot of money and you have a certain status and perhaps you are able to walk away. And I sort of, I wonder how easy it is for for younger designers to kind of find places if it's not built into practices, whether it is. But Saloni, you've got a few examples yeah. of places that where it is actually built, it's beginning to be well, built it's in. Beginning, I think there's definitely more awareness. I think the main issue is what is the metric that the whole industry, the whole digital industry, is measuring, and this is a interesting discussion that actually the first time I encountered this person's work his name is Tristan Harris and he um, is an ex-design ethicist and he used to work oh, at what does that mean a design <laughs> ethicist and product philosopher at Google which basically okay. he looked at what good the product was doing and how it can be made as so while he was at Google while he, he was this. at Google that okay was that's role. interesting so this that's, was it was built it was a role. it was a built-in yeah. role he, however, left the organization and he now runs um, an organization called Time Well Spent. And the first time I encountered his work was on the Waking Up podcast, which is a really, really interesting podcast done by Sam Harris um, on episode number 71. In case you want to listen to it, that's the conversation between Tristan 
and Sam, and they basically talk about how the whole uh, the economy of the internet is built around this idea of attention. It's an attention economy. So everyone's trying to grab your eyeballs and keep you on the website for on their sites for as long as possible. Yeah. So there's a simple example of some a silly thing that now we don't even consider. Um, no, I mean YouTube. When you listen to one video, the next one autoplays. This wasn't a function that always existed. This is a well, new yeah, function. Well, yeah, and also it wasn't. It's not only that another one autoplays, but another one that's that's very similar in yeah. some ways will autoplay, so that they don't take the risk to throw you something no. that actually you might not like. It's yeah. So you know, you watch one cat video, another one will pop yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is a funny thing where they did that, and what was the reason for doing it? In a few months, they did an evaluation and said, oh, well, but people are spending five or six more minutes or uh, five, five or six more seconds per video. So for them, it's a win. Now, Facebook looks at this and goes, what can we do to compete with this? Because obviously, it's a case of competition. So they start doing autoplayed videos in the feed. And yeah. slowly, it becomes everyone. So it's almost like the whole tech industry has to move in the same direction to keep up. And that's because they're all measured against the same... Yeah, thing which yeah. is time, and that's such an interesting um, uh, insight. And ever well, since it's because it's free as well, right? So if you have a free setup, the time thing yeah. is of great value because that's how you well, make money. Well, you say for this about ads. free stuff, but even with Netflix, the they want to keep you on. They want to keep you on it, and all of us uh, would feel more value if we watched more. Yeah. It's somehow we equate the amount we pay yeah. to the amount we consume and then you go oh if I'm not watching loads you've of stuff you've got 60 hours content, yeah that's true I guess that's the month entire weekend yeah. so you feel like you can't live without yeah. it so you're never going to cancel your subscription yeah. are you and at the moment it's a, there's, there are a few systemic things that can change and I think that's where this whole thing of can the designer themselves be held responsible it's a bit tricky because they're doing a job that's in this yeah, bigger yeah I think we need to be really careful of trying to put any blame yeah. solely on the design community or, or saying that this can be solved purely through them because yeah they're working within a system that's deeply flawed yeah. and the CEOs of, of these companies or um, other kind of senior management might still want yeah. to drive that particular business model. I think it's definitely about anyone yeah. who's involved in the creation of these products just having that discussion and, and that conversation. And I think there's a really interesting um, idea that comes out in this conversation on the Waking Up podcast, which is about at what point are you measuring how useful an app is? Because when you're on Facebook and you're spending time on it, at that point, you're just you're sort of reacting. Mm -hmm. So of course you've spent 15 seconds on it or 30 seconds on it or whatever. But how how meaningful is that? Is it just time spent or is it time well spent? And mm -hmm. if you're asked at the time, it's just time spent. But then you think back on it and you, if you're asked in the future, like how was you'd actually say, well, that wasn't time well spent. So I think one thing that one can do as an individual, this isn't a systemic solution, is to sort of look at in retrospect how much time was spent on each app and measuring and kind of self-correcting and there are then other apps that are designed ironically <laughs> that, can, that then help you do this never and kind of, it's never escape other apps designed that kind of show you how much time you've spent where and then you can take a call and say well i don't want to receive notifications at this time yeah. or i've heard about this because a friend of mine commented on yeah. i think on instagram or on facebook about the amount of time he discovered yeah. he spent on yeah on those networks and was actually sort of, I don't know, it, it seemed slightly like on the one hand he was horrified, but on the other hand he was sort of impressed enough to share it. So, <laughs> yeah. so, yeah. so maybe in that very thing there's, it says something about Yeah, and it's, it's just a constant reminder to us as well and something that came up again in this uh, podcast is that um, the internet and, and tech tools aren't neutral platforms. Everyone yeah. keeps talking about how it's up to the user, it's up to the user, but really it's, it's not. They're not neutral, they're for profit. Let's keep reminding ourselves this, but I think 
Yeah, and they're not neutral in the sense that they they come with a certain... I mean, this is the other question with design, is they, they come with a, often a certain type of person who is behind the creation of them and the design of them. And I, I mean, this is a subject that we always seem to keep returning to, but the sense of there being diverse voices and diverse approaches uh, coming into the design of these things also seems crucial. I mean, did that come up with David? Yeah, that definitely came up in our conversation. Um, Lisa felt quite strongly that the only way that we can really start to approach things differently um, and perhaps come up with alternative models or designs or, or ways of doing things is by putting together really diverse teams. So that's teams of people that haven't worked together for a long time. Um, so kind of new groups of people um, that are working together maybe for the first time and also bringing together people from um, not just different backgrounds or with different outlooks and specialisms, but also um, from different parts of a business. And that really by creating that truly diverse group of people, um, she kind of felt that's the only way that you can move away from just streamlining products and making them faster or simpler and actually try and do something different. I'm definitely going to take an optimistic view. I think we're moving in a good direction. I think there's definitely more discussion about this. Um, and I think, I mean, I'm sure many of you know this already, but the next iOS upgrade has promised a new app that's going to help. It's called Screen Time, and it's going to help monitor use, and you can have do not disturb. So this is on, app on iPhones. This is on iPhones. Um, and for those of you who aren't on iPhones, there is an app that I've been using for the last week. It's called Moment, and it helps you analyze what you've been how many how much time you spend on each of your apps and at least it's a self-check so this is from apple itself then is it that and uh, the screen time is going to be from apple and it's going to be built into your um default app so it's not something that okay. you need to additionally I, I felt that apple have slightly taken a certainly with the cambridge analytica stuff that they were taking a kind of view mm. of that they're slightly separate from this yeah. which of course they are although in terms of design they've created this terribly yeah. absorbing and and sort of screen grabbing. I think everyone system. is culpable. I think yeah, it's no, not we're all, and like, you know we're all yeah, playing a part. All, I mean, my only slight frustration is it feels like it's back to the consumer to self-moderate mm. always. And and I guess I feel I feel like we would. I'd like to hear more from maybe governments as well, mm. but also from from real responsibility coming from the tech firms. It always seems to be fudged a little bit. But well, I mean, there yeah, another uh, small ray of hope. I think recently there's a dating app called Hinge, which uh, announced that it's looking for someone called an anti-retention specialist. Um, and that's a job title that is going to be a permanent part of their team. They're looking for someone who is um, a sociologist or a psychologist or studied society, basically. So that will guide the design team and guide the tech team about how to um, create a system that people reach an objective and leave. So they're trying to get people okay, to leave the app, which is interesting. Is this a paid for app? Uh, it isn't a paid for app. And this is what's interesting with a lot of the apps serving ads. So Tinder serves ads within the app. Okay. Now this is interesting because then arguably you want to keep people on Tinder, whereas the objective is to meet people and go off the yeah. app. So it's a bit of a contradictory thing. And with Hinge, they, they, they very publicly announced that only 54% of uh, people leave the app because they've met someone or they're going to take the relationship offline. So they want to, they're going to hire this person and they want to increase their churn to 80%, which means they want 80% of the people who come onto the app to quickly reach an end goal and leave it. Yes, because I guess with a dating app, the, the the more people who pair up on yeah. it, the better for the app, right? The better for so. the app, but also 
pairing up invariably at least for a majority of us that are monogamous pairing up means then exiting the app yeah. so dating apps have a bit of a but you might be drawn to it because like it's successful though, right? sure so a measure exactly. of success yeah. obviously yeah. when there's a competitive market so i mean i think it's really promising and i this role is still <laughs> being recruited for so i'd like to see where you know let's see where it goes and let's see how many other um apps and tech companies start hiring people in those positions that can take a moral stand on or you know sort of yeah i mean it's a positive on. step forward i think because yeah. it's a little like um headspace and again headspace this works for headspace because it's an app about mindfulness and, and not just spending hours yeah. mindlessly scrolling on your phone and really focusing your mind but I think they've done a really good job of building an app that you spend a very limited amount of time on and making that time that you spend with it as good as possible. Yeah. And it sounds like that dating app has kind of realized that maybe yeah. that's the way forward is trying to limit people's time, but while they are there, creating yeah. a really great experience yeah, for them. And maybe it. that's yeah. the big shift that needs to, to take yeah. place. Um, it's uh, basically coming back to that point of uh, not just time spent, but how productive is that time, time well spent on the yeah. apps and yeah. Very good. Optimistic. <laughs> All right, we're going to make a sharp turn to a different subject now. There's no <laughs> real easy subjects. segue, uh, but we're going to talk about um, a new ad that came out this week uh, which, for a US brand, but it sort of reached the, I guess the media over here is how I came across it more than the actual ad itself. Uh, but it's for a brand called Billy, which do a mail order service uh, for shaving products, which isn't a particularly new thing in itself, but I, I think what's unusual is that they're aimed directly at women. And what's sort of caught the attention of the media is that the ad, apparently for the first time ever, I think is my understanding, um, is an ad for shaving products which actually features women with actual body hair. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, hold the front page. But it, So on the one hand, well, as you can tell from my reaction, I'm slightly cynical. But on the other hand, actually, it feels really a positive thing for once to show uh, women with hair on their bodies and... To not, because incredibly, apparently, virtually all shaving product ads have never had hair for women. So, and Rach, you were mentioning earlier about actually some quite appalling examples of this, which show how good a thing this particular ad is. Yeah, I journeyed down uh, the history of women's shaving ads on YouTube. Um, <laughs> what a thing! It was an odd journey. <laughs> yeah, and actually, um, I was really shocked. So, I've seen a couple of people be quite critical of the Billy ad saying you know this brand's trying to be empowering but really it's still trying to sell you shaving products yes of course it's doing this to sell more products and of course Billy would like us to shave yeah um, although it should be said actually just just at this point that they they do actually crucially make the point whether you want to shave or not which well, in itself was, feels quite revolutionary but yeah sorry carry on yeah this is what I was going to come to so um what's really interesting in the Billy ad is it actually says the line if you ever want to shave we're here for you and the women in that ad um, some of them don't seem to shave. They seem to embrace their body hair. They have women combing their armpit hair and hair drying it. <laughs> it's quite and humorous. Yeah. It? yeah, and I think if we are purely crit- critical of it, um, we're kind of forgetting the impact that actually, especially for young girls um, and, and teenagers, of just seeing an ad on television aimed at a mainstream audience that just says, hey, we've all got hair. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Um if you want to shave, we're here. If you don't, that's cool. And actually, yeah. when I looked back at these previous ads, once you've seen that Billy one, they really start to jar with you. So one of the ones I watched from last year was a Gillette Venus ad, which actually said the smoother the skin, the more comfortable you are. Mm. Um, everyone in the ad seems to be white. All of the women are very kind of traditionally beautiful, very narrow view of beauty. They had women in kind of floor length gowns, sipping cucumber water. 
Yeah. Um, but, but the implication was really that if you have hair, it's ugly. Um, yeah. And that's something that's perpetuated again and again in these ads. Um, there was another one... Um, I did that one actually? Did, didn't you say they described it? You're a goddess if you did that. But, as well. Yeah, so this was a slightly older one, but one I think that was for Venus Embrace. I don't know what the difference is, um, but it's it was a, a there was a man and a woman in the advert, and a, and and it actually started to say, "What is beauty? Beauty starts with skin." And then kind of referred to shaved skin as goddess skin, which is really it's a really horrible phrase. Yeah. But actually, I really hope that now people have have seen the billiard that they're going to become even more resistant to the kind of ads that have been put out by those those other shaving companies over the years. And I really hope that we will start to see a move away from those ridiculously dated adverts from years gone by. I think it's really easy to be critical of a company like Billy on social media and yell about it. Oh, they're still getting to try to buy a product. Fair. I think there's but been some first, positive reactions yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but also we're forgetting that like not everyone that sees this ad is you know, 25 year old or 30 year old, older, you know, older, older woman that maybe is, you know, has thought a little more about these things. Like think about the 10 year olds and the 12 year olds looking at it and going, oh, that's, that's all right. Like I don't have to worry about having, it's about who, It's a good, that is a really good point. And I think it also, because it made me think of the blood normal ad, which Mm. was um, for, I think, body form or Labress, maybe they, same name, different, uh, different name, same company. Uh, but depending where you are in the world, but it, which I think again, it was a first ever, which was the first ever to show blood as red in a in a, a sanitary Not period a products liquid, yeah. rather than a strange <laughs> blue liquid. Which again, I mean, again at the time, I sort of had a similar thing, which was on the one hand, I was like, well, brilliant, finally. But then on the other hand, I was like, really, is this re- in twenty eighteen? This is how far we've got. We've, we're still at this point where that's that's a new story, um, which feels very depressing to me, but. But I agree that I think if you're, I feel it's actually in my lifetime, I'm in my early 40s and I feel it's uh, it's gone backwards in my lifetime, actually, a lot of this stuff that, you know, when I was a teenager, it actually wasn't, body hair wasn't as much of an issue as it, I think it is now for younger women. And and I don't know, periods, I suppose, I mean, we I was of the era of the terrible woe body format, so <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's always been bad. But, uh, but I feel it's, you know, Perhaps some of depictions of women actually have have moved backwards rather than forwards in that time. So it probably is important, but it just does make me go. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I think filters yeah, and social media maybe. Have I think also let's not that. forget different parts of the world. I think as someone who's grown up in India, I always think, what would this what would this ad be like, or how would it be reacted to in another place where body is even more kind of hidden and, and yeah. there's even more issues around body image um, and it, this is the beauty of the internet things that are shared and you know young people hopefully from all over the world and parts that aren't as um, I don't want to say progressive because I don't want to compare east and west that way but where you know body is spoken of you know plus size bodies bodies with hair different races are all spoken about in a in a little more pos- positive way in the UK and the US than they are in a lot of parts yeah. of the world so let's not forget the impact that this can have in yeah, wider, wider reach than just yeah. yeah. I just long for a point where it's the news story isn't this is the first time ever. Yes. And that those sort of things become normalised yeah. and that and we we're just commending the good yeah, craft. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or that maybe they're doing something yeah. else imaginative rather yeah. than breaking breaking the PR story yeah. as being that you know first time we see some hair. But good on them. It made me realise actually apparently there was an Adidas uh, ad last year that featured a, a model with hairy legs and a. 
which I, I hadn't seen at the time, but this is when I was Googling about this, this billiard. It came up well, and uh, maybe we're just it caused huge controversy. Maybe we just really walk and never notice the body hair. <laughs> yeah. We're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I, just, um, I just hope we see an end to those ads with the women dropping tissues and juicy oh, no. things down their glossy legs. <laughs> so true. <laughs> still never sure that anyone has ever done that in real life, ever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm always doing that. Just, uh, after Won't shower. That was smooth. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, those kind of weird advertising things that kind of keep coming up. It's very strange. I, yeah, things that never exist in the real world. But there we are. Uh, well, very good. Let's uh, let's end on on what feels like a slightly positive yeah. note. Uh, thank you very much for listening. And you can see more on these stories on creativereview.co.uk. Thanks. Mm-hmm.